and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. So welcome to March 30th. If you ever hear like this in the background, um, at the present moment, I am wearing two bracelets. Um, They are St. Benedict bracelets, and one is the medal of St. Benedict woven with string, and the other one are these beautiful, multifaceted gray beads with a St. Benedict medal on it. And I have been wearing these throughout the quarantine. I am a, a person who assigns spiritual significance to items. And just like wearing a crucifix or wearing these bracelets um, help me feel more grounded and more in my faith. So I apologize for the little tinkling you will hear from time to time, but that's what that is. So today is March 30th. I'm experiencing quite a bit of anxiety today. Um, I believe it has to do with grief. So we're going to talk today about crying and grief. Uh, I was reading a book by beloved Henry Nouwen um, recently about the Stations of the Cross. And um, he talks about there's one station of the cross where Jesus comes across the women in Jerusalem who are crying. They're, they're mourning. They are in that time in history considered official mourners. And what they would do is wail and cry and mourn as men were led on the road to their own crucifixion. And it was considered a work of mercy, which, I mean, completely undid me when I read that. I would love to be one of those people that sits down and reads a book from start to finish in one afternoon. But I have realized as of yesterday, which I don't know how it's taken me this long to realize because it's been like this for years. I cannot do that because I will get to something like work of mercy and my soul gets stirred and then I have to contemplate it and think about it. And then I need to know like what the significance is and I go into the history and then that pulls me into another reader and another blog and it takes me a long time to finish a book. So it really brought up for me tears and how important crying is and how as a society we have the people that are allowed to cry, which are children and women and we can cry in times of things like loss and funerals and divorces. But if you're a man or you've lost your job as a man or a woman or you know, et cetera, et cetera, situation, situation, uh, old script, old script, you are not allowed to cry. And I had to learn how to cry. Uh, Because when I first started therapy at 27, I was so afraid of crying that I would come, first of all, I would come into therapy and the first thing I said to my therapist on our first appointment was, I hate crying, but if I do cry, do not touch me. She said, okay. And for a long time, every time I would come into my therapy appointments, first I would push back her chair so she was further away from me because I wasn't comfortable with how close she was. And then I would resist crying at all costs. Now, I think this is two, there are two reasons for that. And this is just my own theory. Um, 
there were two significant experiences in my young life that told me that tears are a sign of weakness and they're not good. And one of them is that my mother modeled for me what she thought was a a perfect mother and to the outside world, a perfect woman, a perfect wife. And that was to shove down your emotions and go forward and cook and clean and look pretty. And so I witnessed her show that to the world, but behind the scenes, she suffered from massive panic attacks where she would pass out, fall on the floor. She would be shaking. She would be crying. It was it was scary. And then my dad, when he cried, it was very out of control. And that scared me. So a man crying was very messy and out of control and not safe. And a woman crying was something to be done in private. But I think the thing that had the most impact on me was that my mom told me I was ugly when I cried. And there, I used to carry around a picture in my truck in the passenger side visor. I don't know what happened to it. But it is a picture of me when I'm probably four years old. And I'm sitting on a black leather chest with a very ornate gold hinge. And I'm dressed up and I have like those little, I don't know what you used to call them, like Mary Brown shoes, the little brown leather shoes with the strap up the middle that goes down each side of the top of your foot with like a little buckle. And I'm wearing white tights and a maroon cord overalls and a white shirt. And I've got these cute little pigtails and I'm crying and my mouth is wide open and you can see all my teeth and tears are streaming down my face. And I think that picture is the height of cruelty. Like, who snaps a picture of a child crying? Because I remember it, and it might be a memory that is something that I fabricated, but my memory of that picture is, look how ugly she is. Like, isn't this funny? And so naturally, crying was not something that I liked to do. Now, the story ends in a wonderful place because through therapy and through AA, I have learned to embrace crying. I actually love crying. Therapy taught me crying is okay. You guys in the program taught me that it's okay to cry with you or in front of you. And I have two besties that have the best responses to crying. One of them says, oh, honey. And the other one just cries with me. And those are gifts to me, too. So I understand the weird messages we get around crying. Uh, I remember one time I love Indigenous spirituality, and I was taught how to make a drum, which I still have, by Indigenous women. And one of the women said to us in our drum opening ceremony when someone was crying, never be afraid to speak your first language. Oh, isn't that just so beautiful? It's true. What's the first thing we do when we come out of the womb? We cry. And it's a language, right? It's a lament. It's it's a beautiful expression of loss and love and joy and pain. So I'm saying all of this because the, of the connection to grief. So I was going to talk about this this week. I have Sarah Bird coming on the program, and she is a death doula. She's also an end-of-life um, uh, volunteer. She does work in palliative care houses. Um, she's a very spiritual person. We have very different faith backgrounds. But she's going to come on and talk about micro-grief and what that is, so I'll leave that up to her. But in terms of grief... T 
tears are our best release valve for grief, for sadness, for grief, for anxiety and frustration. Ever cry from anger? That's also a release. And the the makeup, the biological chemical makeup of tears is different than any of the other body fluids. Like the ocean, there's salt water, but we have three types of tears, reflex, continuous, and emotional. So reflex is when our we have tears in our eyes that clear it from smoke or irritants. Continuous tears are what lubricate our eyes and make them back antibacterial. But emotional tears are quite different. They contain stress hormones that the body excretes, which is why after crying, we're usually calmer, clearer, biologically and emotionally. They shed hormones and other toxins that have built up due to our stress. And by the way, I think this is really interesting. Contrary to popular belief, we are not the only beings that cry emotional tears. We know that gorillas, elephants, and very rarely dogs have cried. So, cry. Please cry. This time that we're going through right now, I mentioned that I'm going through grief, and I'll get into that in a minute, but anytime our... um, routine changes. Anytime we have a loss of any kind, grief goes along with that. And we're seeing that now in quarantine, like kids are bursting into tears or throwing tantrums because they're not playing with other kids. They're not going to school. They don't have their usual routine. They don't know. And so many of us adults don't know that is a grief response. You know, we're not going to work. I'm not being touched physically because I'm not going to meetings. And that's where I get the primary source of my physical touch. We're all experiencing grief right now. And that's okay. And the best way to deal with grief is to get comfortable with crying. Um, Our tears also bond us to each other in crying because at a deep spiritual level, they connect us to the human brokenness, like our painful human condition. They connect us to ourselves and they connect us to each other. They offer the most beautiful context for compassionate action. If we get truly comfortable with our tears, we get to a level of comfortability around other people in their tears that we can just sit with them in silence and let them cry. Um, When people are like, don't cry, it's an indication of how uncomfortable they are with their own tears. I am now comfortable with it, as I said earlier, because you guys have taught me and my therapist taught me. And I think we all know it's... It's not a a statement of judgment, but we know men are typically more violent than women. We can see this when we look at um, incarceration rates or we look at the demographics of violent crime. By the way, women are 10 times more likely than men to kill out of passion, by the way. Like we're the ones that kill the people we love. (laughs) Um, I believe that if men were allowed to be more tearful then they would be much less violent because not only would they be connecting to themselves and they would have an outlet for things like anger and grief and sadness, but they would be more connected to other people. I'm actually reading a really great book right now. It's by an author named Jason Wilson, and I just started it, but it's called Cry Like a Man, Fighting for Freedom from Emotional Incarceration. And he talks about misconstrued masculinity and how crying is not an action of being out of control, but rather one of self-control for men, and that men can discover their power, increased love, and freedom through crying. So men, it's okay to cry. And I know as a society... 
we have told you you can't. But look at us women and how society has told us what we can't do and how we've looked at it and said, oh, really? And we do it anyways. So we know what it's like to fight against societal norms telling us what we can't do or who we can't be. Look to us. Let us champion you. And you can just go ahead and learn how to cry. And there's really a lot of uh, wonderful men's groups now that are getting into what it means to be a man, which is to be in touch with your emotions and to cry and let it loose. So um, just on a personal note, there was a, a long timer in my home group. She has since died, but she told me about a year ago at a meeting that people didn't really know me because I never share anything about myself. And that's changed how I share when I'm not telling my story. So if I'm doing slogans or I'm up at the front of the room, to even just share like a little bit about myself helps people connect to me and then helps them connect to them in their own stories. So I'm going to talk about why I'm so anxious right now and my grief at the moment. And some of the aha moments that I've had, and hopefully it won't be more than two or three more minutes. But um, as some of you know, I was married for eight years. I was with my ex-husband for 10 years. It has since been about eight years since our divorce. And I still have that grief. I still love this man. And I'm okay with that. I am okay with the fact that I will lament my divorce for the rest of my days and that I will love him for the rest of my days. Um, that is perfectly fine and acceptable to me. Because why wouldn't I? This is a man I chose to marry, a man that I raised his daughter with, a man that I became a woman with. Um, and why wouldn't I lament divorce? Just because it's in the past doesn't mean it doesn't reverberate or still cause harm or damage. Like that's a broken family. I don't feel like we failed. I don't believe in, in the concept of failure. But there is a broken tie there and there is wreckage that continues to reverberate through both of our lives with his daughter, with my brother. It's just the reality of it. So I have come to accept that. Now, that's part one. Part two is about two and a half years ago, I met a man that I was so certain that I was going to marry. Like he was the one. And I felt like I had confirmation from God I had visions, I had dreams, I had weird feelings, I had words pop into my head. I Like it all just seemed like this is him. And I had him in my phone with the word him. And um, <clears throat> he was not fully aware of the extent of who I thought he was to me, but I did receive confirmation along the way. And about four months into our relationship, it was clear that he hadn't healed from his recent separation. He was not in a place to be in a relationship with me. And so we parted ways. And I was fucking crushed. I was undone. Um, my The birth of my inner poet happened as a result of that relationship. I actually have three books of poetry coming out this year. And I credit him for that breaking open in me of this flood of words because he was also very overwhelmed by the force of my emotion. And some of the things I wrote for him that I showed to him were too overwhelming for him. And so I needed an outlet. And I just started writing and posting anonymously on Instagram. And it turned into... You know, at this point, I think I've written over 600 pieces. There's about 130 on my um, Instagram account. <clears throat> 
If you love poetry and you want to go check it out, please do. You're under no obligation. My uh, profile name is at lovely logo file, um, L-O-V-E-L-Y, L-O-G-O-P-H-I-L-E. Anyways, um, it was a very difficult blow for me because I had thought I received a lot of confirmation from God and I just didn't understand it. And it, I never got over him, which I didn't know until about uh, six months ago. Um, I started seeing him because we run in the same circles. And so I've always had to bump into him every three or four months. And we have easy chats. And every time I see this man, I'm like, <gasps> like everything in me just go- is excited and breathless and all the beautiful, warm, fuzzy feelings you get when you're in love with somebody. Anyways, about, I think it was like November, December, January, February, March. Yeah, about four months ago, um, we started talking more and more and decided we would start spending time together um, in January. And we did. And I felt very strongly that, oh, my God, I was right the whole time. He is the one. And felt more confirmation. And I felt, based on things he was saying, that we were starting a very slow burn into a lifelong commitment. And it turned out that he could not. Again. Right at the same time, too, Lent, which is interesting as a Christian. Jesus in the wilderness, resurrection, all that other stuff. Death, resurrection. So... Um, I officially walked away a couple of weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, because for me, I cannot abide a man that gets to sample me and not make a commitment. And I am big love. And if he can't handle that, he's not the one. And so this time my grief has been way less, but it's still there. And I kind of don't want to touch it right now. And I think that is leading me to a lot of anxiety because I think of this man every day and I want him to come and fight for me and I want him to show up at my door and, you know, I'm looking at my phone and although I feel very at peace and released about my decision and I don't want my fingerprints on it and I've let it go to God, I'm still experiencing these pulls at myself and being in quarantine, I can't escape myself. (laughs) So it's there. But what's interesting is I am having recurring dreams. And this is where the story all comes together. I am having recurring dreams of my ex-husband. For the last five nights straight, I have dreamt of my ex-husband. Not this more recent man. My ex-husband. And what came to me this morning is that grief kind of, it's like a sweater, with many different colors. So your childhood grief is like the red string that's woven in the sweater. And losses you've had in your life is like the blue string woven in the sweater. And a breakup is the yellow string woven in the sweater. And my divorce is like the white string woven into the sweater. And then this recent breakup is the black string string woven into the sweater. And all it takes is for one string to come loose and you pull on the sweater and all of the other strings start to come out. The whole sweater starts to unravel. So this grief that I'm going through right now is pulling at the grief of the divorce that I went through. And at the end of the day, all I can do with any of this is just settle into the grief and say, like I said on a previous podcast, oh, here you are, and just sit in it and be okay with it. Because the more I resist it, the more it wants to take me down. 
And talking about it right now, I feel like if I was at a level eight of anxiety when I started talking 20 minutes ago, I'm now at a level three. So I hope that has been helpful for all of the grief you're experiencing during this time. Um, I think it's just time for me to sit in silence and resist the urge to watch the rest of Tiger King. What the fuck? Uh, All right. I thank you for listening. I thank you for being with me in this because I know you are. I offer my own hugs and tears to you in your grief. And my prayer for you is that you get to sit with it and be with it and let it wash over and through you. And I know you'll be okay on the other side. So thanks for listening and I'll talk to you tomorrow.